I V M. Folks, welcome to Besa Besa, powered by Max Life Insurance. I'm your host Anupam Gupta, B50 on Twitter, and this is a really special episode because after a long time, really long time, we're going to talk about kids. Yes, bacha party. I'm four years ago in May 2018. I had a bunch of really smart kids talking money in the IVM studio. You guys should check that episode out. Those kids have grown up into teenagers now. But by God, that episode was so much fun. And today, of course, you know we don't have kids, but we have two grown-ups. We have two authors, Binal Gandhi and Sonira Sangvi, who've written a book called "Piggy Bank to Portfolio: How to Raise Financially Smart Kids." I know a lot of you guys out there think that kids need to know about money right from the get-go, right from however early they are born, I guess, so that they are more prepared to take better decisions when they're grown up. And the best place to start is probably as a uh, is when you are young. So we are going to talk to the authors Binal and Sonira about financial literacy for kids and a whole lot more about the book right after this short break. And welcome back folks. Here we go. Binal and Sonira, welcome to Paisa Vesa. Thank you so much for doing this for our listeners. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much for having us. Great to have you here. I've never had two women on the show, so I'm really, really thrilled about this. I've always believed that women need to have, you know, should have more voice and should be more diversity in my podcast. In January, I had uh, Shinjini Kumar of Salt, and I had Devina Mera of First Rule. So I'm really, really thrilled to have you guys with us. Um, thank you so much for doing this. So let's start off. Binal, tell us something about yourself and Sonira. You after that. Sure. Born and brought up in Mumbai, and got my bachelor's degree in engineering from Mumbai University, and um, and then went to the US to get my master's degree. So I have a master's in electrical engineering and an MBA from Purdue University. Um, I worked and lived in the US for fifteen years, and then moved back to India a few years ago. Uh, I have twenty years of work experience in the financial services industry. I was a senior vice president at Wells Fargo in charge of mergers and acquisitions, and I've closed uh, close to a billion dollars worth of transactions when uh, I was at that bank. A few years ago, I started a financial education initiative called Finance Gym. The gym stands for Grow Your Money, and uh, basically, it's a gamified. a uh, financial literacy program and we work with young uh, people students college students even school students sometimes and uh, we teach them the importance of starting early and uh, we also teach them how to invest for the long term so um so it's been a wonderful journey we uh, are in over 50 colleges across the country and uh, we've touched about 20000 uh, lives already and hopefully have started these kids along the path of investing Uh, I'm also visiting faculty at uh, SPGEN Institute of Management Research, and um, I have two teenage girls myself, and um, I'm happy to be on the show. And I, I have to say, um, you know, I've written this book for um, my two girls and for all the parents out there to help them get their kids started along the financial education journey early. Fantastic, Sonira. Sure. So, born and brought up in Bombay, same as Bina. Went to college, school and college in uh, Jew in Mumbai, and did my bachelor's in uh, management studies with a major in finance. Then moved to USA to study law. Uh, went to New York, gave the New York bar. I was working at one of the top ten law firms in New York, 
then moved back to India uh, and didn't want to do law here. Uh, you know, the degree wasn't working here. So I took up writing because I've always loved writing. And I worked as assistant editor at Business India magazine for a while. And then when I had kids, I took a break from that uh, full-time job. And I've been writing freelance, you know, for a bunch of publications, uh, corporates, uh, content. I also have an education consultancy where we help students write essays uh, for applications to colleges. And uh, most recently, I am co-author of Piggy Bank to Portfolio, How to Raise Financially Smart Kids. Fantastic. So let's... One thing, where did you guys meet? Did you meet in the US? You meet in India? Did you guys know each other? Or how, so how, how did that work? Before I get to asking, why did you write the book? We've uh, friends for the last 20 years. Ah, uh, nice. I, nice. Gosh, I, we met because we're both born and brought up here in Juhu and went to the same school. Uh, but we've been, you know, very close friends since then. Good to know that. All yours. Why did you write the book? So, um, you know, when uh, running the financial education program, finance gym, and working with uh, thousands of these uh, students, college students, what uh, I've learned is that the students that are most interested in investing, that really want to learn about money management, come from homes where uh, curiosity about money has been encouraged from an early age, where these money habits have been inculcated at a very young age. So most parents want to emphasize on education. They want to emphasize on on their children building good careers, but they don't necessarily teach their children that uh, it's really important to learn how to manage your money along with earning your money also. In fact, you know, in my 20s, I was very much focused on getting a good education, moving up the career ladder. um, And, uh, you know, it was only until my 30s when I actually started focusing on managing my money. So, um, you know, this was a big reason why I wrote this book, because I don't want my two teenage girls and uh, to make that same mistake. And uh, I want them along with all the kids out there to get started along this journey a lot earlier. Fantastic. So, Rita, your reason, why did you write this book? So, uh, I'll tell you, a lot of it is personal. Uh, I have two reasons. I grew up and I moved to USA. I studied there. I started earning there as a lawyer in New York. And, you know, I was making money, but I didn't know what to do with the money. It sounds so crazy, but I didn't even know how to save properly, right? So, um, I, I was just trying to spend less instead of, a basic thing, which is pay yourself first and set aside that money. I would just try to, you know, not go out as much and see what was left over at the end of the month, which now I'm like, what was I thinking? Uh, so when I did save money, I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't understand the New York stock market. You know, I, I didn't know where to invest or what to do with that money. And definitely I didn't want my children to make the same mistakes when they were growing up and, and learn about money the way I did. Uh, so So that was number one. And second is, you know, uh, my children, uh, they go to schools and I think this is just how things have become, you know, but their parties are becoming more uh, lavish. We don't say no to our children enough. They have so many toys. They receive so many toys as gifts. Growing up, you know, I would get something new on Diwali or maybe one off or twice in a year. Uh, you know, now there's Tooth Fairy and there's Christmas and there's Diwali. And, you know, God knows that I feel like we're constantly 
buying things for our children. And it's not just me. Like whenever I go to friends' houses, I see everyone has so much of everything. And I feel like our kids are growing up in this bubble and they don't realize, um, you know, to some extent, the value of money. And a large part of it was just, uh, I wanted them to know that there's a lot of hard work that goes behind all these things that they're getting and, and to keep it real for them and, and to teach them that, you know, this is, the value of money and, and this is how you learn to grow and appreciate money and just the importance of hard work really fantastic so i've read in the book that you guys have done this really nice and extensive study you've researched some 500 plus parents for the purposes of the book and i you know i've been very lucky to um to read the book and it's really interesting mm-hmm. Can you just walk our listeners through the findings of the survey that you guys have done um, sure, we actually had, uh, we asked parents over 50 questions uh, when we did this survey. And besides the survey, we also did a ton of interviews uh, for this book. And, um, you know, we got very interesting answers. So, for example, um, about 64% of the parents wished uh, that they had learned more about money when they were teenagers. And about the same amount of parents, so about 60% or so, uh, said that the biggest mistake that they made uh, was they did not invest early and they really want their kids not to repeat this mistake. Very similar to my story, actually. Another really interesting finding was that one in three parents, they hardly talk to their kids about money and, uh, and they, don't, they don't think they need to. Uh, they feel that kids will learn as they grow up. Uh, but there are about 41% parents out there who do want to talk to their kids about money, but don't necessarily feel very equipped. So um, either they they feel that they don't know enough or they don't know what they want to teach their kids about money. So, uh, so we're hoping that this book will help these parents out there. Um, there was another very interesting um, finding, which is on pocket money. Uh, parents are quite split on that. So uh, about 40% or so of the parents do give pocket money to their kids, while the others just give money uh, as and when the kids require. Uh, And parents feel pretty strongly uh, that, so about, I would say 40% of the parents feel pretty strongly that pocket money should be earned and not uh, necessarily just given. So, uh, you know, so parents are pretty much split, I guess, on this whole pocket money (laughs) debate. Um, And uh, the last interesting finding is that, uh, and this is something that we knew and had expected, but, you know, the survey sort of just backed that up, uh, that in a household, it's it's the the woman who typically does the budgeting. So we saw, you know, majority, 80% of the women were, you know, in charge of the budgeting. Sometimes the husband helped, sometimes they didn't. Uh, And similarly, 80% of the men uh, or the husbands in the household were in charge of the investing. So, um, you know, so there is definitely, you know, big difference in what the genders do and the roles that they play in a household when it comes to money. And the last and I think the most surprising and interesting thing is uh, one of the questions we had asked the parents was what kind of questions do your kids ask you about money? And, oh, my God, we've got all kinds of questions come up with uh, that kids are asking. So, I mean, the reality is kids are curious about money. Uh, And so, you know, it's up to us as parents to help them along and, uh, you know, make these conversations that the kids have with us, make them fruitful and help uh, hopefully communicate some of our values about money 
to them. Mm. So you mentioned in even for yourself also, but how parents don't want their kids to make the same mistakes about anything, I guess. And money is just one of many things. And right. I think a lot of parenting is probably geared towards that. So if we talk specifically about money and when we look at it, how you said that you don't want kids to make the same mistakes, but the world has changed. Right. So navigate this for us. How has the world changed compared to say when, you know, when, when you were learning about money to what it is today? So I think there are a number of factors at play here. One is consumerism in general has increased from when we were, uh, you know, growing up. For example, definitely no apps existed. And gosh, I feel so old whenever you know I talk about it, but there was no cable TV. There was no internet. There was no, you know, Amazon, Swiggy, Flipkart. Like there, was, there were no uh, options out there. So, you know, if you wanted something and you asked your parents for something, it was you had to wait till they were free to take you to the store and then hope the store had it. So it wasn't instant gratification like it is now. And I think that's, that's a huge thing for kids nowadays is they expect everything very fast and, you know, they, they want to swipe and they want it the next day. Uh, the second thing is there's social media, which also didn't exist. So at the most, you know, you were looking at your neighbors and that was your social circle. Uh, nowadays, kids are looking at influencers. Kids are looking at celebrities. They're looking at their lifestyles, their vacations, their the brands they're wearing. So uh, there's a lot more, uh, I'm looking for the right word, uh, acquisitiveness that comes into kids uh, when they're looking at all these things and ads are constantly in their face. So I I think definitely that has changed a lot since when we were growing up. And there's also uh, digital currency, right? So when we spent money, we were always handing out physical cash and you feel that burn, you know, when you have only 100 rupees and you you know, end up giving 70 rupees and then there's only three 10 rupee notes in your hand. But when you're swiping on those UPI apps, you have no idea how much is left in your bank. You have, it, it's so easy to spend money. So I think, I think definitely all of those options have dramatically changed how our kids and this generation thinks and literally feels about money. Very interesting. Okay, before we go into the break, there's this very interesting part in the book. I really liked it. I liked um you know, you highlight that financial values should not change with financial status. Help us understand this. So no matter how much money you have, a lot of these financial values do remain the same and should remain the same is what we're saying. And uh, let me give you some examples uh, of that. So Sonira brought up this whole consumer culture that we have. We're constantly bombarded with messages from social media, advertisements, uh, and what are they telling us? Even our peers, right? And what are they telling us? That if we make more money, if we acquire more things, then we are going to be more successful, maybe even more happy. Uh, But the reality is research shows that too much focus on money, on chasing money, on acquiring things actually hurts our well-being and also hurts the well-being of our children. So the reality is that no matter how much money you have, the value of focusing and enjoying what you have versus looking at what someone has and envying what someone has, that does not change. Uh, And here, you know, we parents play a very big role for our children uh, because they are looking at us, they're learning from us, right? So if we're going to pay a lot of attention to brands, If we're going to pay a lot of attention to whether we stayed at a five-star hotel or a three-star hotel, then that's what they're going to think is important. But if we're going to focus on how much fun we had together and, you know, how much we laughed at jokes or whatever it is, uh, then that's what they're going to learn is important. 
Um, and along those same lines, um, you know, we bring up gratitude and giving. So, you know, being thankful for what you have. Again, research shows that for younger kids that are more grateful, essentially they are happier, they do better in studies, they help others. So overall, they're just happier, uh, you know, people. And so inculcating this habit of gratitude, no matter how much you have, is extremely important uh, for our children, right? And the third, one more example that I did want to bring up is about compounding. So, um, you know, small habits, in fact, Abdul Kalam said this, he said, we cannot change our future, but we can change our habits. And if we change our habits, then we'll change our future. And it's very true. And that's what compounding is really about, right? So, uh, so if we have this habit of setting aside small amounts of money and investing it with discipline, then, you know, that will lead to a large portfolio in the future. And similarly, if we have poor spending habits and if we make poor financial decisions, slowly and small financial decisions, eventually they'll compound into a larger problem, maybe more debt, maybe some other problem. And uh, so, you know, no matter what your financial status is, all these habits really should remain the same. And, and that's really what we mean when we make this statement. Fantastic. Folks, we're going to take a small break out here. And on the other side of this episode, we're going to talk about the book, Big Questions, chapter-wise. There's a lot of very interesting things that I, I like. You know, We're going to talk about how they've got quizzes, activities, and a lot more about the book right after this small break. And welcome back to this really special episode. Okay, guys, so let's now go, let's just jump deep into the book now. Let's look at the big question. The first, obviously, I'm sure that a lot of people are wondering this. I have wondered as a parent myself. Is there any right age to start your kid, you know, to teach him or her to learn about money? So Anupam, you know, this this always uh, shocks parents when I say this, but, and, and we've referenced the research in our book that money-related habits, uh, essential habits such as delayed gratification and planning form in kids as early as age seven or eight. So, you know, it's not necessarily about money per se. It's the habit, your in your personality that is shaped by that age. So, uh, you know, there's a very famous study, the Dunedine study, which we've referenced in the book that tracked kids from that age until 40 years later. And it showed that uh, kids who were able to delay gratification and resist, you know, whatever it may be, whether it was chocolate or TV or, you know, uh, junk food, any any of those things, just the ability to say, no, I'll have it later, uh, did much better 40 years later when it came to savings, when it came to paying off their houses, their credit scores. Uh, we do encourage in our book to start the money conversation at an early age, but it's also about uh, habits at an early age. And one of the ways we talk about that is, you know, to inculcate the idea of pocket money, but also to say no to your children or ask them to wait for things, you know, so so to put a pause between the ask and the give. Very interesting. Okay. Um, now, listeners, you can obviously, the book has been released, right? I mean, you can buy it on Amazon, Flipkart or wherever, right? Yes. yes. Okay. So folks, when you buy the book, you'll see that they, that the authors have given activities for kids quizzes for parents and very specific action points and milestones and guidelines across age brackets. That's what I like because obviously what we teach to a five-year-old is going to change a lot 
um, when the same kid is 15, right? And you got to probably just train them along the way. So at what age should we teach what topic to kids? I mean, just a very broad idea of the journey till I guess a kid becomes mature, he or she is 18 and can handle things on his own. What does that look like broadly? So, uh, you know, I have small kids. Uh, my, my kids are uh, three and seven. So I'm going to answer this question for the younger kids and then Binal can take over for the older kids since her kids are older. Uh, with kids as young as age six or seven, we encourage giving pocket money, uh, make it a weekly thing because when things happen frequently, it sort of sticks in the kid's head. If you disperse it monthly, then the impact of it is not as strong and it doesn't have to be a big amount. It can be something really small, like 20 rupees, 50 rupees, 100 rupees. The whole idea is to just get them used to handling money. You know, one of my favorite quotes in the book is, you can't teach a kid football without a ball. So it's similarly, you can't teach a kid about money without money. So if kids, uh, you know, see, handle money, real money, they're more likely to understand it and grasp the significance of it. When it comes to dispersing that pocket money, we talk about dividing it into three sections, which is spend, save and give. So from a very young age, you teach kids the habit of setting aside money in three different compartments, uh, envelopes, jars, however parents want to do it. Uh, you know, and, and, and the ratios can also depend on them. We suggest 60, 20, 20. So if you have 100 rupees, 60 rupees and spend 20 and save and 20 and give. So that's one of the things. The other thing is, uh, you know, teaching kids the difference between need and want. So asking them questions like you need this or want this. And it doesn't. It doesn't mean you have to say no to them. It's just you're adding a layer uh, of introspection before they ask for something and before you buy them something and, and just sort of adding a pause between thought and action. Uh, definitely, uh, once kids have saved up money, we suggest taking them to the bank and opening a bank account for them and sort of, you know, letting them experience what a bank is like and, and the process of, you know, opening a bank account and all of those things. and. Really, you know, very small things like taking them with you when you go to a grocery store and letting them hand over the money to the storekeeper. So it doesn't constantly have to be talking about money to your child. And that's one of the things I would really want to emphasize because a lot of parents think that we're promoting, you know, that you talk to kids about money all the time. So that's not what this book is about. It's really just having kids observe you and letting them be a part of your day-to-day matters when it comes to money. So let them give that 100 rupees to the Kirana Wala. Let them take the change back. Let them count it. Let them get used to feeling uh, and counting money. Uh, or if you're buying stuff and you know there's a deal, then maybe the kids can understand that you're buying something because it was buy one, get one free instead of the other thing, which was not. And that you know you're value shopping. So just small things like that, if we have those conversations with kids, you know, at seven or eight or 10, then those are things that will stick in their head because kids are so much smarter than we give them credit for. And they're absorbing a lot by just seeing us. Yeah. So when they grow older, uh, 10 plus, and again, you know, we've outlined it in a lot more detail in the book, uh, but, you know, I'll share a few uh, suggestions with you. Um, Involve them in in when you are making larger purchases so for example if you're buying a tv you know you're going to compare all the features you're going to compare costs between the different models and generally parents tend to do it themselves uh involve kids when they're ready so that they understand that not only are you shopping for value but you're also learning how to do comparison shopping right 
also, you know, as they get older, we don't want to only teach them how to save, which is what a lot of parents do, but we also want to teach them how to save. So, uh, for example, we want to give them a goal to save towards because eventually uh, they need to learn how to make goals and then achieve them, right? Uh, and this applies to savings also. So let them save for if they want, uh, you know, something. Uh, let's say they want to buy a phone or a new game or whatever it is. Let them pay for a bit of it from their pocket money. It doesn't have to be all of it, but let them save towards that goal. So again, you're making them wait for some time. Plus, you know, the fact that they have helped pay for it, they'll, it'll just make them value that thing even a little more. Then when it comes to just all the outside influences, we want to make sure that we keep talking to them about, you know, social media. Uh, in our survey, we saw on an average, people give uh, smartphones to their children at about age 13. And I think the pandemic has made it sooner than what it used to be. But, um, you know, and thanks to uh, the smartphone, they can communicate with their friends, but they also have, you know, various other outside influences. So keep talking to them about these influences. That's important. And um, also investing. Start with games. Uh, and we've, we've uh, given you a suggestion of, uh, for example, Monopoly, which we've all played as kids and we play with our kids. And, uh, you know, how you can use this game to actually teach them basic concepts of investing. And a lot of parents feel that they themselves don't know enough about money, but we've really spelled it out for them in the book. So they can read it and, you know, take the learnings and straight away start, you know, talking to their kids uh, about investing and even more. And then as they grow older, 15 plus, they actually can start investing. So you can give them Maybe if not real money, there are enough websites out there that they can invest with virtual money. And one of the things uh, that I have done with my kids is when they were younger, you know, we'd invested a small amount, actually 10,000 rupees uh, for them. And as they've grown older, we keep sharing that statement with them, how the money is grown. So, you know, in, in about 12, 13 years time, it's become fivefold. It was an investment in a mutual fund. And, uh, you know, just showing them the power of compounding, uh, I've seen, you know, my kids have been sufficiently impressed with how the money has grown. So it's not really about how much money you're investing, but even small amounts. The idea is to really teach them how to do it so that once they start earning, they're ready. You know, they're not learning like how I did by making mistakes. Well, I want to just go a little bit deeper because you spoke about this and that was in fact going to be my next question. So if you can just help our listeners, probably someone, you know, who has a teen or who's going to be turning a teen in the next couple of years. We, as parents, we worry about influences, whether from friends, whether from social media, from the outside world, right? Because parents can only do so much. How do you, so let me ask it in this way. What do you think are the two, three things that parents need to be cautious about? And what are the kind of conversations? Because I heard you say repeatedly that you need to talk to your kids. So just walk us through this in a little bit more detail for our listeners. Sure, absolutely. Um, so, so one of the very important things is to, and very difficult for parents, but is to limit screen time. And, uh, you know, parents do it. I know, I know everyone talks about it and parents do it in different ways. Uh, sometimes they use an app to limit the screen time. There are apps out there that can help you do that. Sometimes, you know, they just, physically sort of tell their kids after two hours, please give me your phone. So no matter how you do it and what works for you, try and limit these outside influences. So that's the first 
first thing you can do not easy i agree but uh, you know we have to do it we don't have a choice um second bit is talk to them and i know i've said this and let me give you a few examples of what you can share with them so uh, for example we have a lot of social media influencers and we see their lovely lives you know these beautiful cars or beautiful clothes or whatever else they wear uh, and they have so many followers people you know who who adore them it's important for us to tell them that you know even this is a lot of hard work so what we're seeing is just the fruits of the hard work but what's happening behind the scenes so how much effort is the influencer putting in to create these lovely pictures how much research is going in how much you know hard work how many people are behind the scenes helping uh, you know show the pictures that they are so it's really important for us to talk about that not only does it help our children understand what hard work is all about uh, because otherwise they are only seeing you know the fruits right they're not seeing <laughs> all the behind the scenes stuff so definitely very important to talk to our kids about that the second thing uh, and there's a lot of research that also shows uh, that when you raise the awareness of advertising and how it works on our mind it really helps us um, you know once we are aware to not fall under those influences or to sort of reduce uh, that influences so what i mean is um you know there are advertisements out there uh, and we call them aspirational right that where they'll show you if you own a pair of shoes then you suddenly are going to become very happy or suddenly you're going to become smart and everyone's going to start loving you so um so you know if our kids don't understand that that these are just messages that are being thrown at us to sell things uh, we need to be able to explain that to them so very very open and explicit conversations about how advertising and how all these mediums work and what they are trying to do so that you are becoming aware uh, and your kids are becoming aware um, that you know they are trying to sell you things you're not necessarily going to you may get a pair of shoes but they're not necessarily going to make you the most popular person in school mm. so uh, you know very explicit conversations there are other ways you can have these conversations because sometimes teenagers don't necessarily sit down and you know want to have any conversation with you um but you know there are tons of tv shows frankly that you can watch oh. um and uh, watch with them and use those tv shows as a way to start these conversations and use these characters as examples so again you know we're trying to relate to our teenagers which sometimes you know is always a challenge but uh, we're trying to relate to them and get some of these points across so um so definitely you know watch some of these tv shows with them and use them as examples to explain peer pressure social media you know what is the outcome of some of these uh, things and the last thing i want to bring up which i've already talked about this earlier but uh, i do want to stress on it and that's role modeling so you know we also need to be aware of what we are doing and how we are talking at let's say for example the dinner table where the kids are listening so if we're going to start talking about you know the expensive car that our neighbor bought again you know our kids are going to hear and learn uh, so self awareness is equally important not easy but important very interesting thanks for that comprehensive answer also anupam uh, i'd like to add you know the, the thing with this is uh, you know it it's not just finance right it, it veers into psychology and human behavior and all of that and one of the things we really wanted to do in our book that we've that we've done is 
it wasn't just about us and our research. We went out and spoke to a bunch of therapists, counselors, psychologists, wow. uh, you know, because we really wanted to give the readers a very holistic and expert point of view as well on this topic. Yeah. And so, you know, we have sections in our book that actually have expert advice on how to deal with peer pressure, how to say no to your child, uh, often because you don't agree with it, but also if you can't afford it and how to word those answers. Uh, how to, you know, deal with issues at home when you disagree with the grandparents and they have one way of raising the kid or you have one way of raising the kid. So we've, we've really tackled as many questions as we could and as many questions as we received in our survey uh, with expert opinions uh, in the book as well. Very interesting. And there's one more thing that I quite like that you've done in the book because normally conversations with kids as it is with adults, it's basically about investing, where, where to put your money and mutual funds and SIPs and disciplines and habits, etc., etc. You've spoken about all of that. But I like the fact that in your book, chapter six is on borrowing and chapter seven is on giving. Tell us about that. Sure. So, you know, like we mentioned earlier in, in our chat, things have changed a lot since when we were growing up, right? So when we wanted to borrow money uh, at 18 or 20 or 21, when we started earning money, you had to do the old school file a loan application to the bank. And, and that was literally, you know, the, the most known way of getting money. Now, you know, I routinely get emails, I get phone calls saying, you know, aapke credit card pe ye loan available hai. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are EMI offers constantly in our face, wherever, whichever app we are shopping and it says buy now, pay later. So these are the things our kids are going to see. And when they start uh, earning money or, you know, even as early as age 18, when they are handling stuff by themselves. And we really wanted to address this issue because so many people who are not educated uh, in financial literacy, who, who don't understand fine print, who don't understand how interest works, how credit card uh, payments work, uh, get into so much debt. And then it becomes a hole that is really difficult to get out of. So uh, we wanted parents to equip children from that, uh, you know, before they start earning money. I will give you an example. Uh, you know, one of our employees' son started earning money and he was so excited about earning money and, you know, making uh, whatever, a good salary. He went and bought all these things uh, on EMI on his credit card and he didn't realize that the interest rate was per month. And, you know, it, it ended up into this massive debt and then he didn't know what to do with it. And obviously, you know, then we helped and sorted it out. But it's not a one-off thing, right? It's a very common problem that is growing in India. The level of debt that's grown in India over the last 10 years uh, is almost double. So this is the issue that we wanted to address. And we wanted parents to talk about borrowing, to talk to their kids, uh, you know, that if you do borrow money, whenever that may be in your life, whether it's for an education loan to go abroad, or whether it's to buy a house, or whether it's to even buy a scooter or a car when you start earning money, you know, understand the fine print, understand interest rates. Do you have a repayment plan? Do you have a contingency repayment plan that is not your parents? Uh, you know, so so to so sort of just outline these things for them and address it so that they would be better equipped to make these decisions if and when they decide to borrow money. And definitely also, you know, not fall for these schemes, the quick money schemes, uh, you know, that, that are constantly emailed to us and messaged to us. And the second one, uh, giving and gratitude is definitely one that's very uh, close to my heart because I genuinely feel that we should teach kids gratitude from a very young age. I do it with my son and daughter every night before we sleep. We talk about things we are thankful for. And, you know, there is research that out there that shows that constant gratitude creates a feeling of abundance. 
So the more thankful you are for things around you, the less likely you are to covet other things and constantly want more things in life. And, uh, you know, unfortunately also for us in India, there's, there are so many people around us who could use help. Uh, so if, even you know, to teach kids giving from a young age, it doesn't have to be about money. And I keep stressing this. It really doesn't have to be about money. It's just about teaching kids to, you know, donate old clothes, donate old toys, uh, donate things that they are not using. Uh, one of the things examples I've given in the book is a personal example where I said, I saw my dad organizing blood camps. And so, you know, the minute I could, I was donating blood. Literally costs nothing, saves lives. So, you know, if we constantly keep having these conversations and kids see you giving, and, and that's one of the things that, you know, Bina and I talk about very often is kids see us spending. That's the only part of money that they actually see us. It's, the, it's what's visible to them. They don't see us saving. We don't show them that, look, I've put this money aside in a, you know, FD or whatever it may be. They don't see you investing. They don't know what your portfolio looks like most of the times. And, you know, whether it's Diwali or whether it's routinely or, you know, Christmas, when we give, often our kids are not a part of that decision either. So if kids see you giving, and this is a conversation that you can have with them, Every single time where even you are giving some money to someone and, and they see you do that, that itself will raise them up to be empathetic children uh, and adults who give back to society. Fantastic. So folks, there you go. The book is Piggy Bank to Portfolio, How to Raise Financially Smart Kids. The authors, Binal Gandhi and Sonira Sangvi. So guys, before we wrap up, one last question, slightly off topic. Both of your mothers, awesome, and both of you have had working careers. And of course, you're, you're seriously smart on money on finance, which is why you've written money and finance, which is why you've written this book. For our listeners who are planning a family who've not dealt with, you know, dealing with babies and not being able to sleep the entire night, um, what's your advice to them on the money side if they're going to be starting, you know, to plan a family? What should they expect? How should they plan this out? Yeah. So I would say two things. One is start saving for your child's education earlier on and investing, even if it's small amounts, small amounts make a big difference. I keep saying that in the future. Um, so education in our country to get good quality education, the cost is going up much, much more than inflation rate also. So, um, so definitely, you know, before you start planning a family, set small amounts aside for the, your child's education. The second thing I would say is, and in fact, we have a little quiz in the book to help parents along with that. But um, you do need to discuss amongst yourself how, uh, just like you would say how you want to parent the child, how you also want to um, financially educate your child. And uh, it's very important to be consistent in their education and the messages that you send out. So, uh, so before you have your children, it's good to discuss certain important points. And like I said, you know, a quiz will sort of help add structure to that discussion. Uh, but, you know, definitely talking about how much to give them and when to stop. And if one parent wants to give them something and the other does not, how do you agree on it so that the kids don't see the conflict? Uh, if there are money related problems in the house, how much do you want to share with the child? Uh, and how much you don't. So, so many money related topics um, that you want to make sure that you're consistent on uh, before your child comes along. Uh, so that way they're getting a consistent message as you go along. Mm. So, any thoughts from you on that? Um, 
No, I, I think parents really underestimate how much education costs. And as Binal said, you know, that should be the first thing that parents put aside money for. Uh, definitely, I will say this, when we planned our child, uh, you know, we did not estimate that the education would cost this much, you know, till till 12th grade itself. So uh, that that is one thing. And uh, second thing I, I would, I mean, and this is a personal touchy topic, but I, I would advise parents to also plan for their own retirement once they're done with the child planning, because a lot of times I see uh, peers around me where parents are dependent on them. And then the person ends up managing the parents and their finances and their kids. So as much as possible, you know, again, I don't want to sound like I'm coming from a place of privilege, but as much as parents can uh, to sort of set aside money for themselves also while planning for their child, because it's unfair to expect someone to shoulder all responsibilities. Wow, that is some seriously good advice, folks. Yeah, retirement planning is something, it's a topic that we've talked about a lot on Pesa Vesa, but thank you so much. Uh, and that is a wrap on this episode of Pesa Vesa. The book is Piggy Bank to Portfolio, How to Raise Financially Smart Kids. Go ahead and buy it, folks. The authors, Pinal Gandhi and Sonira Sangvi. I wish both of you all the very best for your book. You've written a great book on a very important topic and I hope that our listeners go out and buy it and anybody listening in, on this show as well. So thank you so much, Binal and Sonira, for doing this for our listeners. Thank you so much for having thank us. Thank you so much for having us. And that's a wrap of this episode of Pesa Vesa Powered by Max Life Insurance. And listeners, if you like this podcast, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM Network. You can listen to us on the IVM Podcast app or ivmpodcast.com. You can also follow us on our social media. We are IVM Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to reach out to me, I'm your host, Anupam Gupta, B50 on Twitter. And thank you so much for listening to Vesa Vesa. Vesa.